Today on episode number 361 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Donald Bullock joins me and we talk about what we have learned. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. On today's episode, Donald Bullock is joining me. He's actually already here. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Donald and then welcome him into the conversation. Donald Bullock is a current senior at Vanguard University, where I work, in case this is your first time listening or that name is not familiar to you. And I, he is going to be graduating in 2021 with a degree in business administration with a concentration in management. And following his undergraduate degree, he plans on attending law school, and he's currently holding leadership roles in our Black Student Union and also in our Student Government Association. As you will no doubt hear throughout this entire episode, he's very passionate about justice and creating a fair and equitable society for individuals of any background and his hobbies. Actually, Donald, why don't I have you take over on this part? And what are, what are some of your hobbies that you enjoy doing when you're not doing the things I just mentioned? Yeah, so some of my hobbies that I enjoy doing, I enjoy playing sports. So I picked up tennis recently. I used to play basketball, so doing that, also running. And I have become a really big advocate of reading and also listening to podcasts too. And Donald, I should probably have you share this information. How do you and I know each other? Or how did we first get to know each other? <laughs> We, I am one of inside of your classes. So I actually have gotten to know you over through that. And this is actually a funny story. I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you remember this, but this was like the very first time that I had like seen you teach or like I had been in like the same room with you. It was during welcome weekend, my freshman year. And they had each of like the divisions or like departments go into different rooms. And I was like, oh, if you're a business, business major, go into this lecture hall. If you're a kinesiology major, go into this lecture hall. And I remember, I don't remember exactly what the topic was, but we had done, like we played a game and I remember it was a, it was a flashcards and there was a few other professors like sitting on the sides. And then it was like, oh, come over and like play this. It was like this like game where we were like, I don't remember necessarily what the game was, but it was with like flashcards and like we were in a team and it was kind of like, oh, like the two people that were on the side with the professor would answer the question. And then after they would answer the question, the professor would like speak for us. And it was like, oh, you get points and whatever team wins. And I remember going back and I was like, that was so much fun. And I learned so much, like my first like non-official day of college. And I was like, I have to take one of her classes whenever I get the chance to. And then like four years, three years, four, three years later, I come back and it's like, oh, now I'm inside of one of your classes. I do not remember that. I mean, I remember doing events like that. I can't even remember doing one with Quizlet, though. But I remember one time I took a picture of myself in one of those events. I'm going to have to go. How weird would that be if you're actually in a picture and I don't even realize I it. it? I wonder if I was. I even remember like we had that there was like something on the wall and it was like, what are you the most excited for this year? What yeah. are you the most nervous for? 
And then I remember writing that I was like, I'm nervous just to be in college or something like that. I was like, I'm just nervous for the whole experience of being inside of college. And then I remember uh, there was one professor, I don't remember who it was, but like their daughter, I believe had like was a girl, was a Girl Scout. And they're like, oh, go give out, go give them like some Girl Scout cookies. And I remember I was like, this was so much fun. And I was like, I know that I for sure picked the right major because I remember like, I felt so at ease kind of just going inside of there after playing that game. I was like, I feel like this is a really good major for me. It's funny that you bring up that exercise because I do. <laughs> had you had a class with me that wasn't during a pandemic where we've only interacted, you know, this way for the class, we you would have seen even more my love of sticky notes because they really are very versatile. <laughs> so I do love that thing where you're getting people up and moving around. In fact, I'm going to put in the show notes a link to a new book that just came out about the research around when that you, when you're moving around the educational benefits of it and I'm not speaking about it very well but I did just get it in the mail from West Virginia University Press and people listening might know that they have a wonderful series for faculty development and so I got the book I mostly read digital books these days because I I think those font sizes shrinking and my mm-hmm. eyesight going the combination of those two things <laughs> is not really good but I do love getting to, just to be able to hold it in my hand even if I can't actually make it all the way through a book that way anymore but yeah anyway I'll put a link to that in the show notes but uh yeah that I didn't remember that story I'm so glad to know that it's fun to know the ways in which we as faculty, even in those small ways, can help people feel more comfortable in a new environment. And I know both you and I know about these kinds of memes, but just for people listening, in case you're not familiar, there's a very, at least I find it funny, um, there's a very funny meme that goes around a lot and it usually has two photos on it. And so there'll be a photo that says, this is how it started. And then there'll be some photograph that represents that. And then this is how it's going. And of course, a lot of them, and I know you know this, Donald, that a lot of them are related to the pandemic. And I've mm-hmm. seen people do that with their hair that just is growing out of, <laughs> out of their usual style uh, and all of this. So I wanted to ask you the question, if you could visualize for us, what would your picture look like for your college experience, how it started, and then how things are going? But actually, even before we do that, Donald, let me back up just a second. You made one of these that I thought was really, really funny. So would you just share with us the one that you made and then tell us your college one after that? Yeah, so it had been two months ago and I was working on a paper that I was really struggling with coming up with any content for it. Like I had a very specific rubric, but I just did not know what I wanted to talk about. So like you have like the simple MLA format, which is like your name, the professor's name, like the date or the class and then the date and like the title of it. So I started out with like, my name and all the MLA format rubric, which was how it started. And I take a picture of how it's going. And it was the exact same blank page of <laughs> the exact same blank page of information that I was working on. It had been about two hours since I had first started that. And so I sent that to a couple of my friends because I thought that was like a really good representation of like how I was struggling with like that assignment. So I thought that was pretty funny that I had made that one. And I think for me, how I would have said how it started and how it's going for like my college is I don't know if you have seen that meme where it like starts out with a guy and he kind of has like a drawn back face and then he's kind of, and then he goes into like terms of like blinking, like he's kind of like shocked at like what happened and then he'll like kind of open his eyes back up again. I would say that's kind of how I feel for college because I feel like I just started and kind of was like easing my way through it and kind of like trying to get my footing and then 
turn around and then I'm graduating in December. So I felt like by the time I blinked, college was already over with. So and like it went by really fast. And it, like I was even sharing the other day with uh, one of my friends, I was like thinking about like back stuff from just even last semester. And I was like, I feel like that just happened like the other day. And it's like, no, some of that stuff happened like back last August, which was almost a year ago. So I feel like for me, like my how it started, how it's going is like you're coming in and you're kind of shocked by everything. You blink and then it's over with. So that's how I probably would describe like my how it started and how it's going for college. What do you remember about the early days of college? Yeah, so I remember coming in to college and you're always told when you're in high school is that you never get study guides in college. You'll never like the professors won't help you with anything. You're it's very lecture heavy. Like you have to write out like 30 pages of notes and kind of just like all of that stuff where it's like there is no grace for anything in college. Like it's, you're strictly on your own. So I came in kind of with the fear of just like, oh, wow, like I'm not even sure like how I'm going to be able to do that. I was like, I can barely keep up with three slides in high school. So I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this in college because I write kind of slow. So I remember I came onto campus like my first day and then it was like it was a really kind of busy day because I was like having trouble getting from class to class. I was like walking in the wrong classes thinking that like, I'm like, this professor looks like somebody I know from back home. And I'm like, oh, let me go inside of here. And I'm like, wait, that's not actually my class. And then so I'm like trying to check my schedule and like going back on like the school's website where you can check like all your classes. So then being really confused just about how to navigate and get around the classes. And I think even in terms of like work. So I had ori- originally taken a foundation of Christian life class. And the professor, like we got started on the work day one. It's like I know normally it's like you have like a syllabus day sometimes and then you don't do anything the rest of the day. But like all my all my classes I had on that first Monday, we didn't do anything. We just had a syllabus day and they kind of released you really early. So I was like, oh, I'm like, this will be such an easy week to get into college. I'll be able to get my footing. And I also was an athlete too at that time. So I was like, yeah, this would be a really easy transition. And then so we get to this class and then he's like, you guys have your textbooks. And then half the class said, no, thankfully I had mine. And he goes, okay, we're going to read pages one through 75, which is chapters one through four. See you guys Thursday. And I go, I don't remember the last time that I've read 75 pages for a class. So then I was freaking out because I like went home and told like my dad and my mom, I was like, I don't know if this college thing is for me. They're, they're moving way too fast. I said, I have to read 75 pages. So I was just like really nervous in terms of doing that. And then I come to class on Thursday and then he just recapped everything that was read in the book. So I was like, what? I like crammed all that reading. We just went over the same thing instead of class. So it was a little bit weird because like like I hit the ground running right away. So I remember just kind of like my early days in college was just trying to get used to the workload because most people for their senior year of high school don't have that many classes. And so I had four actual classes and three electives. So it was kind of like the electives were more like it was like a TA for this or it's like a cooking class. And I was like, it didn't require much actual stress. And I came in taking 18 units my first semester, which was seven classes, I believe, because I had a couple of like one unit courses. And then so I felt like really overwhelmed and just trying to be able to get my footing. And then I know there's, I don't remember the name, you might know it, but it's called like something like a W curve of like what college students go through. It's like you have that initial, like I'm finally in college. And then you have that first like, oh, this is actually college. Like I actually have to work. And then you go back up and it's like, oh, I'm starting to get my footing. And then you get towards like finals week. And then it's like, oh, like I'm just ready to go home. And then you come back. I don't know all the stages for it. I can't think of the name of it, but I remember they showed it to us at welcome weekend. 
And I remember for me, like my beginning was like, I was really excited. And then I hit that first initial phase, like, like, oh, this is college right away. But then it took, it took a couple of weeks for me to get my footing down. I feel like I was like, okay, I feel like I can finally do this instead of like feeling so overwhelmed by just having to read a couple of chapters. Well, one of the things that we did in our class actually came out of a recommendation on this podcast. So it's kind of coming full circle today, Donald. Someone named Brian Dewsbury, who teaches in the STEM fields way back when. I'll put the episode in the show notes so anyone who wants to go back and listen to that one, it's really, really good. But I mentioned to you before we started recording, he teaches in STEM fields. And I just loved that he wanted to prescribe that any slash all of us should use this this I Believe essay. And these essays, of course, have been around for decades and decades in all different contexts. They have a curriculum, which I did end up purchasing so that I could use it in our class. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. The This I Believe essay, also, they have some podcast episodes if people want to be able to listen to them instead of to read the text. And they also have advice for people who are going to write one, how to write it, and then also advice for peer reviews and things like that. So let's start off talking about what do you remember when you first, I'm assuming maybe I was the first person to ever tell you about these, Donald, is that true that I was the first person? Yeah, that was the very first time I'd ever heard about these people. What do you remember about that day when we all went and just started checking some of them out? I remember when we were going to the website, I was, there was I don't even know how many topics there were, but I remember there was a lot of topics. So I was just curious. I was like, I wanted to see, like I went and created like new tabs for each one of the things. So if it was like justice, I'm going to click on this. If it was for equality, I'll click on this. If it was for happiness, I'll click on this. And then, so I remember going through them and I was like, wow, this is like, I know you had mentioned in class that this was like something that well, I believe it's like over 50,000, correct me on that number if I'm wrong, people have done. And I was like amazed that like there were so many good ones. And I remember like going through this and I was like, I don't know if I can even write something that's nearly as this good as some of the people that they created. Yeah, I'm trying to look at how many there were. So it's based on a 1950s radio program of the same name hosted by an acclaimed journalist named Edward R. Murrow, who many of us will have as familiar And it says, I'm reading from their website, which I'll post a link to in the show notes. Each day, Americans gathered by their radios to hear compelling essays from the likes of Eleanor Roosevelt, Jackie Robinson, Helen Keller, and Harry Truman, as well as corporate leaders, cab drivers, scientists, and secretaries, anyone able to distill in a few minutes the guiding principles by which they lived. And so we went and we looked at some ourselves and then. You started to write some drafts. Would you talk a little bit about the different processes that you went through as far as, which, by the way, people, spoiler alert, people listening, Donald's going to read his final essay that went through. But would you talk a little bit about the process that we went through to to get to where um, the essay you're about to read to us? Yeah, so I believe we started out with a 250, then we went to 1,000, and then 500, so 600. So when we initially did the 251, I had started out and then I had written it, like I kind of got ahead and I wrote it. And then I was like, I think I want to for sure talk about, I don't remember what my first topic was. And I was like, I for sure want to do this. And then so one of my uh, friends instead of the class texted me about what he was thinking about doing for his. And then I was like, that's a really good topic. And I was like, you should do that one. And then I went back and like, he was like, oh, like how did yours turn out? And I was like, it's good. But I was like, I don't know if I'm able to write 
500 words about it yet because I feel like I could go on about this forever. So I was like, I don't know if I can really condense this. So then I remember that I was like, I don't think I'm going to end up doing the topic that I chose. So then I went back and then rewrote my second 250 paragraph one. And then I was like, okay, I know I can for sure talk about this up to a, th- up to a thousand words and then condensing it back down. So when I wrote the original one, I knew that I was kind of struggling with like how I wanted to take it because I was like, there's a lot of different avenues that I can go down with this specific topic that I used. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just kind of leave it a little bit generic at the beginning so then I can figure out as I'm writing the thousand word. So then we go to the thousand word one. And then I remember that it was kind of just like add as much detail, kind of flush it out a little bit at the beginning. And then, so I remember when I was writing this and then I was like, I don't even know some of this is important to the story that I want to tell. And then, so I was like, I was going back and forth and trying deleting things and taking it in and out. And then, so I was like, okay, I feel like I have a very solid a thousand words that I like now. And then I went back and then I read it and then I was like, okay, this is good. I was like, I think I know exactly what I want to do with this when we get to the 500 word one. But I remember when we were going from the thousand to the 500, I was really like struggling at the beginning because I was like, I feel like all this is so good. I don't want to take any of it out. So then I was like, well, what's, and then I remember you had told us is like, take what the most important things in it that you feel that they are. So I was like, okay, I feel like I have to kind of go through this and read it a couple of times and really figure out like, okay, this is what's important. This is what's not. So then I finally wrote the 500 word one and I was like, okay, I really like how it is. And then, so we did our peer reviews. And then I know that there's like some comments that we might get into later that like my peers have left me about like, oh, you should try adding this or try adding that for your essay. And then, so I was like, oh, like, I can't believe I left this part of the story out or like, why didn't I add this in here? Like changing the structure of it up. So once I finally got to, I think I had written my final spot or the 500 word one, probably three times before I turned it in. And when I, when I did the first one, I was like, I feel like this is good, but I was like, I don't know if I'm leaving anything out necessarily. So then we finally got to like the peer review. I was like, okay, now I officially know that like I need to add more stuff into it. And then we got to the 500 word one. I was like, okay, the official one, I was like, I turned out and I was like, I'm really proud of what I wrote. And, that, and then I know that we had talked about just like making some of it a little bit stronger or a little, or some of it a little bit uh, like add this in here or like it might not even be necessary to say certain things. And then once I kind of looked back and I was like, oh, it really challenged me as a writer to say like, what do I believe in keeping it very concise and not and very straight to the point instead of kind of doing a lot of runaround, which I kind of had at the beginning. Yeah, that that language process where we make what we have to say more declarative I remember emerging as a writer that way, but also as a speaker. I used to teach computer classes when I was first out of college, and they would record us and, and on cassette tapes. I still can remember being handed a cassette tape and said, the person I reported to, my manager at the time, said, you know, listen to this. And listening to myself on the way home, and this, so th- this is me imitating it. You're, you're going to laugh at how little has changed because, of course, there still was menus and things like that. So I would say, right now, we're going to go ahead and click on the file menu. And right now, we're going to click on save. <laughs> right now, go over to the open menu. And just, just superfluous <laughs> words because it was very uncomfortable for me to give commands. Click here do this. It felt too forceful, too, I don't know, too declarative, yet 
Mm-hmm. If you want to, back then we'd have you know, 24 people in a class and, and this is not the way I would, by the way, <laughs> ever advise teaching computer classes today. <laughs> I would have an entirely different approach if I were asked to do the same job today. But back then it really wasn't teaching. What it really was, was almost like a demonstration, but a demonstration journey that you had people join you on. And so it was, mm-hmm. I found over time much more comfort to just, just tell them what you want them to do. You don't, you don't, you don't need to have the extra stuff in there. But as a writer, sometimes it's hard to see the extra stuff until you really dig in, look at it multiple ways. And then you did have some feedback from peers. And then the other thing that they recommended that we do is read them aloud. I don't know if you tried that. I I promise you won't hurt my feelings if you say no. But (laughs) if you did uh, read it aloud, was it helpful to you? or, Or is that not something you you found the time to do? I'm actually an auditory learner, so I actually have to read a lot of stuff aloud for me because it won't click. And that's why I feel like for some classes when we have open discussions where it feels more like a conversation rather than just someone lecturing at me, I learn so much better. It's like I can even look back to like when I was in elementary and like middle school. So I, would, I had a whiteboard instead of my room. And then whenever I was like studying for a test, I'd always write down all the information on the board and just like say it out loud and teach it to myself again. So once I read this aloud, and then I'm even seeing like, I, like, in full honesty, I was like, I think I was like, I feel like I'm a great writer, so I don't really need to proofread any of my stuff. And then I go back and read it aloud, and I'm like, oh, I can't even get through this sentence because it's kind of choppy. And then reading it aloud kind of helped me see, like, oh, maybe this could be worded a little bit differently, or maybe this could be changed up in a sense where it made me like look at it from like another perspective, not just from me saying it inside my head, or if I'm like 400 words in, and then I realized, oh, I'm getting kind of tired, and then. And if I'm writing it late at night or at a time where my brain is necessarily precious, and then I go, okay, now that I've kind of went back and reread it, especially hearing myself say it, then I realize like, oh, I probably should change up some of this. Well, speaking of this, would you share your This I Believe essay with us? Yes. All right. So I will go ahead and get started. My heart and passion for justice started at a very young age. After moving back down from Northern California, Reunited with my family, all seemed normal in the world again. That was until I learned about injustice when I was just nine years old. My cousin John, who is significantly older than most of my cousins, John was starting to get his life together. On a Friday night, he decided it would not be a bad idea to go to a party with a group of friends he had known for a long time. John did not know that this party was going to change his life forever. Things began to get contentious, and people who were not a part of the friend group also came to the party to cause trouble. As things began to get out of control, word spread that someone at the party had a gun. As my cousin was getting ready to leave and grabbed his coat, the police showed up. My cousin found out that the gun had been placed inside of his coat without him knowing. He pleaded with the police that the gun was not his. His friend did not speak up when the time came knowing that someone had to take the blame for the gun and the threats as well. Dr. King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. To be silent about injustice is to be complicit in injustice. When we see things that are not right, we have a moral obligation to speak up about these issues. While we may have fallen short of this at times, we can strive for a just society. John then went on to spend three years of his life in jail, but that was not the end of the story. While my cousin John was in jail, news came out that he was wrongfully convicted for gun possession and threatening individuals. Once the news came out, he was then released from jail. 
My family did not believe it was John in the first place. So finding out this news was very tough for all of us. Seeing that his life would be changed forever showed me that injustice can happen to anyone at any time. At a young age, this was my first real sense of injustice happening. When justice was not served in the situation as someone who was wrongfully convicted, justice was served thereafter many years for the individual who actually owned the gun and placed the gun. Following this situation, this sparked my heart and passion for justice. Seeing and experiencing injustice in many forms has shaped my passion for justice. As Dr. King stated in his letter from the Birmingham jail, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It is not easy to speak out, but as Dr. King also states, the time is always right to do the right thing. When we choose to speak out one step at a time, we together can create a more just, fair, and equitable society. Thank you for reading that. Thank you. When you think about that essay, to me, it's so emblematic of who you are and also who you are becoming. And I would love to have you share a little bit about what that was like to share it with our class and to get both the feedback along the way, but also when you, you didn't have to read this with the class, but you decided that you wanted to read it. Would you share a little bit about that day when everyone was sharing their essays and just what that was like for you? Yeah, so this was probably one of the first times that I've actually shared this story out in public with more than, I mean, the, the, our entire class had heard it for those who were there for the synchronous class. Um, but it was the first time even sharing this story with my roommate, who I've known since I started college, and I had never really shared this story with him. This has been something that was like really in-house for like a lot of my family, even though none of it was a secret. It was just never something that I normally talked about. So when I was thinking about how I wanted to really craft this essay and like how I wanted to talk about like how it's been affected inside of my life, I was like thinking about a lot of different things that I could talk about, but I wanted to talk about kind of me watching it happen rather than seeing a little bit of my own experience with it, which I mean, granted, this is my experience, but when I see it happening in front of my own eyes and kind of being exposed to that so young. So when kind of sharing this with the class, I also kind of felt that it kind of may give people a little bit more perspective of who I am because I know I speak about, if anyone follows me on social media, they've seen how often I talk about things about justice and creating a fair society, et cetera. And so I know that I've even talked about that in like some discussion boards and even mentioned that just in some of my personal worldview. So I think sharing that kind of also helped me open up to the class and kind of let them see another side of me that people may not see and also see that this is why I'm so passionate about what I am passionate about. And so when I read it instead of class that day, I know that I was a little bit nervous, actually. I don't. I think I read it towards the end of class, actually. And I was a little bit nervous to actually share it because we had three people, I believe, who are peer feedback. And granted, all the people who reviewed my essay gave me really great feedback and were all really gracious. But I was still just a little bit nervous because I hadn't even shared it on that large of a scale. So once I finally shared it and then even seeing people's feedback of, just like how they felt from the essay from hearing the essay was really powerful to me and it really touched me and i feel like i gained a lot from just being able to talk about that about my essay and my topic and a little bit of my story and so i thought it was like an incredible experience just being able to learn and see learn from others on like how i could even flush out and be more intentional in telling my story but also help bless others from hearing my story too Donald, thank you for sharing the story and a little bit about the process. And 
it was a fun experience. I, I really do feel like I learned along with everyone in the class in this process since that was the first time that I was trying this. I'm definitely going to try it again. <laughs> it just was really great to see people be able to bring their relevant stories into an environment like that. And I also really liked that I felt that we had a really good balance going of things that I got to know about you and each student just through that, that, that we definitely had that connection that we got to know each other really well. And then we did have a module about discrimination in the class. And when I've done that one before, sometimes the people who maybe aren't as far along and understanding some of these issues, <laughs> um, I would, you know, I always want when you're in a learning environment like this, sometimes all of us, myself included, are going to say things. And if it's the first time we're trying out a new set of language or trying to understand a certain idea that... It was always, I remember when this has come up in the past in this class, or I would just have cringeworthy stuff where I'd go, oh, gosh, maybe we could have just kept that for yourself <laughs> to think through. And, mm -hmm. and I, this time, and again, every time you do this, it's a little different, different group of people and all of this. But this time I felt like some of the people trying on new language and new ideas, that that could happen a little bit more one-on-one. -on -one. And but that we also felt it felt to me safe enough that we could have the harder conversations. It's hard. It's hard to explain. Only I mean, I know I've told you the stories before when I taught it because it's just, <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious, is things that, you know, just wow. But one one specific thing that I recall. So this idea, it's a flashcard, by the way, among in our discrimination set of flashcards mm -hmm. in, in Quizlet, you probably remember one of them talking about colorblindness. Yes. And I felt like in the past when I had taught this class, I, I don't even know if that came up, but I felt, I felt like this this time explaining to people, because it came out in the, when we were talking about microaggressions and then different types of microaggressions. And then that, I felt just such a better appreciation for the people in the class who were not people of color that they were really able to see like, oh, I'm not the hero because I claim that I'm colorblind. <laughs> like, it just, mm -hmm. it really, this time, I was just glad that I felt in some ways I could be more of a buffer for that so that not everybody had to listen to everybody's learning, <laughs> no matter where they were on a whole spectrum of being able to understand difference and understand discrimination and where and how it shows up. I don't know. Well, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that particular aspect of the class. Yeah, I thought it was really like conducive to like a lot of our learning where there was like a good like mediation and there was a, a good like appreciation for talking about the topic. And there was like you were saying that we didn't have to kind of have where some people were a little bit like seeing like how far along like you were saying like some people were. So I thought it was like I really enjoyed kind of going through that. And it's like it always is a little bit eerie to me when we have these discussions because I know there might be like some cringer stuff that's going on. And I'm really terrible at facial expression. So it's like, what it might happen is like, I might not be able to keep a strict face. And it might be a frown or like, even if it's just like so crazy to me, it might be a laugh sometimes. But like, I have, to, like, I was really glad that the conversations progressed the way that they did. And I would hope that everyone was like really receptive to like what we were talking about. But from like what I could tell, even when we talked about like on the last day, it's like, what is some stuff that like brought you life when we're doing the examen? So that took away and I like some of the stuff that people were saying was that how we realized that some of the stuff is so prevalent and they were happy that we had like a safe environment to talk about it.
And I thought it was like really cool for me that we were able to have such a safe environment where we were able to talk about a whole range of issues from like microaggressions to like racial color blindness. Yeah. Well, Donald, I'm so glad that we got to have this first part of the conversation. I'm going to spend just a moment talking about today's sponsor, but then we're going to get to the recommendation segment. So today's sponsor, I just want to take a moment to thank them. It is SaneBox. I've talked about them many times on the show before. Before they were a sponsor, they were a service that Dave, my husband, and I subscribe to that helps us keep our inboxes sane. And one (laughs) of the ways it does that is by reading the headers of your email through their artificial intelligence and sorting them in really smart ways to folders like read later (laughs) or newsletters, really obvious things that you don't need to read the newsletter right when it comes in. And it's better to group those things together and process them and they're not as urgent. And so SaneBox helps you do that. You also can train it if it doesn't sort things, which 99.9% of the time it sorts it really well for me. But if it ever didn't, I can just drag an email from where it went to where it belongs. So if it sorted it into one of those later folders, I could just drag it back into the inbox and it'll remember it from that day forward. Or if it, vice versa, if it went into the inbox, but actually I want it to go into one of those deferred inboxes, I can just sort it that way. And then also you can even have it where if you email someone and say you're expecting to get a reply back within three days and you want it to come back, pop up into your attention again, you can just blind carbon copy the SaneBox special email, and it'll remind you of that. So it's got all kinds of ways to help us manage our email. I highly recommend it. And they're also a sponsor of today's episode. So if you head on over to SaneBox.com slash TI, as in teaching in H-E, as in higher ed, SaneBox.com slash T-I-H-E, you can get a free trial over there and also a discount on your annual subscription should you choose to subscribe and they tell us we have really high subscribers because a lot of people once they try it they realize how much time it's going to save them and again thanks to SaneBox for sponsoring today's episode and now Donald we get to get to the recommendations part of today's episode and I just have a quick one I'm not familiar with this site as in it's not one that I have visited a lot but it's called Writing Explained And it looks at different types of, it's got a whole huge listing of AP styles for different words. And so the one that I came across that I want to recommend today is for disabled handicapped. And so I'm just going to read a tiny bit of this one for everyone to give you a flavor of the kinds of recommendations that it makes. So I'm reading now from writingexplained.org about their entry for AP style disabled comma handicapped. In general, do not describe someone as, quote, disabled or, quote, handicap unless it is clearly relevant to the story. If a description must be used, try to be specific. For example, an advertisement featuring Michael J. Fox swaying noticeably from the effects of Parkinson's disease drew national attention. You should avoid descriptions that connote pity, such as, quote, afflicted with or, quote, suffers from, instead use has. For example, correct, Michael J. Fox has Parkinson's disease. Wrong, Michael J. Fox suffers from Parkinson's disease. And it goes on to explain some other terminology that we should not use in our writing. And I mentioned that I was not familiar with this website prior to coming across this, but I have a feeling I'm going to be 
coming back here a lot because there are a lot of ways that I suspect I can become better as a writer and more respectful of different populations and that kind of thing. So I'd recommend that people head on over for uh, that particular entry. And I suspect I might even be recommending more entries in the future. And Donald, now I'm going to pass it over to you for your recommendation. Yes. So as I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, some of like my new hobbies that I picked up. So we had Back, I'm just looking at it on Amazon right now, actually, and I purchased this last March, so 2020. So this is like right at the very beginning of the pandemic when we were still going through the stores and ravaging toilet paper and stuff like that. And so I had this book recommended to me to a coach because throughout college, I've been pretty busy with just a lot of different things and always trying to stay busy. And the book that it's called is Your Best Life in Jesus's Easy Yoke. Rhythms of Grace to De-Stress and Live Empowered, and it is by Bill Gallatire. Yeah, so this book was really good to me, and I've actually gone through this book twice now. I read it once back during the beginning of the pandemic, and then I actually read it at the end of last semester, and so in December into winter break, and it's been really helpful for me because I'm always like trying to stay busy, and I'm really type A, so always having a plan and needing some type of structure, something that I often feel like I need to have. So this book kind of reminded me that you can find rest in Jesus and take some time instead of his easy yoke. And it has like little exercises to where it's like, okay, let's take 10 minutes today just to sit down and breathe. And let's just read the Psalm and we can like, and then it helps with questions like, how did you feel about this once it was done? But not at the end of every single chapter, but overall, it's a really good book that I would recommend to you guys. Oh, that sounds so good. And just even just the breathing, <laughs> we we can get so much out of just that taking those pauses and taking that time to breathe. Donald, thank you so much for coming on Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you for being a part of my life. I'm so glad to know you and I'm glad to continuing to be getting to know you better on now we're up to like almost a daily basis <laughs> where we'll exchange <laughs> different things. And I'm really grateful to have you in my life and also to have you on my podcast. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for having me. I was so excited when you asked me to do this. And I was like, it was an absolute yes. And I'm so thankful to have been inside your class this semester. And it was such a perfect timing to have your class at the time of my life. So I'm really glad that we've been able to get to know each other a little bit better over the time of this semester. And I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to be on your podcast today. Thanks once again to Donald Bullock for joining me on today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed, where we looked at what we have learned. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you've been listening for a while and you've yet to subscribe to my weekly Teaching in Higher Ed updates, I encourage you to head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. You'll get an email just once a week from me with the latest show notes from the episode and also with other resources, quotable words and all that good stuff. So head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. And thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.